Welcome to the Amplifier Event Marketing Podcast. Your chance to listen in on a no-holds-barred conversation about marketing events and venues from the best in the business. Now here's your host, Kendra Wright. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to The Amplifier. Today, I'm coming to you from the International Association of Fairs and Events Convention in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I am so excited about my guest today, and I know you guys are just going to love her too. Her name is Karen Purvis. She is an international speaker on effective communication. She talks about how language affects communication outcomes, and I think she is fascinating. She has a company called Innovative Impact, and she is a speaker that if you have a convention or, you know, any kind of um, corporate training and things like that, you can actually hire her to come and speak to your convention, business, etc. But today, you are a lucky person who gets to hear her talk on this podcast, and I really, really am so grateful to her. Before we start, I just want to mention that my company is Sapphire Events, and we help events, venues, and destinations shine online. But today, I'm hoping we can give you tons of ideas to help you communicate with your board of directors, your your sponsors, your donors, your everyone that you come in contact, both in business and in your real other life, um, and, and communicate better. So as I mentioned, I'm here with Karen Purvis. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's truly my pleasure. Thank you, Kendra. I want to tell everyone how I heard about you. I actually went to the Texas Association of Convention and Visitor Bureau um, a convention earlier this year, and I thought that the level of speakers that they had was amazing across the board, but you really blew me away. I took so many notes, and I was actually speaking about email communication after you, and I could not even go to my presentation. I almost was late. My people were texting me, where are you? And I was like, I just have to get this one last thing that she's going to tell us here in a second. And I was so, uh, it was really so fascinating. This, She spoke about email communication, but she also speaks about, you know, language and other kinds of communication. We'll talk about that in a second. Anyway, I knew that I was coming to Vegas where you live and I had to talk to you. Um, your message is so important for people to hear and I think it really will make people more successful, which I love to do. So it's really an honor to speak with you and share the good word. Um, so for those of us who don't know you, tell me, uh, just tell us a little bit about your expertise and what you do in this area. Well, I became a professional speaker in December of 2000, so it's been 14 years. About It was about nine months before September 11th, so I certainly did not see that coming and have made it through the 2007-2008 slump along with everyone else. And it was an evolution for me. I started out doing more about um, doing what people love and creativity and innovation and goal setting and a lot of uh, personal topics like that. And, and I started including bits and pieces about communication effectiveness and people said wow do more of that do more of that and I'm like you want to hear about that because that's really my favorite thing <laughs> and so then I became more specialized in uh, linguistics and learning more about how language does affect uh, people's reactions to you. Wow. Okay. Again, such a fascinating topic. So like I mentioned, you were talking about email um, email marketing, and there were two things I remember really vividly. One is... Um, I was following you and not looking forward to that. Like I said, I was—I just thought you were really going to be a tough act to follow, and I was late. Um, but you did give some really specific recommendations, and I'm really—I'm just dying to share some of them. But before you do, I know that your technical expertise is in interpersonal neurobiology (IP). NB. Can you tell me what that is? <laughs> I, I'm hoping I'm not the only one, but tell me how it can help us communicate better. Um, that's a great question. Thank you for asking me about that. Um, interpersonal neurobiology is a uh, description of uh, a coming together of a number of different practices. So it's really bringing together anthropology, psychology, neurobiology, neuroeconomics, and really looking 
looking at how um, a lot of these principles dovetail with one another, um, work off of one another, and can really help us understand the conversations, whether they're through an email or whether they're in person or whether they're with your spouse or your board. It's not just about me and it's not just about you. It's about what's happening between us and how what I'm saying is affecting you and how what you're saying is affecting me. And so um, it's it's bringing together a, num a number of disciplines to look at how we can better connect and really improve our connection with other people, both personally and professionally. Wow. Okay. So when we did our pre-interview, there was a moment that we had I thought was so interesting. It was a perfect example, I think, of what you're talking about here. I used the word should. Oh. And you said, oh, well, you know, maybe, and you said it so nicely, maybe that's not optimal. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm learning here on the, this is called on the job training. Um, what, tell me why we shouldn't use, I'm just going to start with that specific question. Why would we not Say should. Okay. Um, that's a particular uh, language tool that, that I can talk about. Um, there are certain words that cause, that have a certain neurological reaction in the person that's the listener. And um, when we say the word should, within four tenths of one second, what happens in the listener's brain to that uh, word or to that sentence is, uh, who are you to say? Or what, how do you know? Um, even if it's as simple as you should eat at such and such restaurant or you should see such and such movie, it could be very well-intentioned. It could be a very harmless type sentence. But it, or, you know, it could be your dentist saying you should floss more regularly. Um, there's something inside of us that happens that says, you know, why should I? What do you know? Um, a defensive reaction neurologically, it's because it goes to a lower part of our neurological structure. It goes closer um, to the limbic system where we just react to something as opposed to the prefrontal cortex where we can more look at context about something. So should is a word that causes people to feel defensive unintentionally. Um, like I say, it could be you could be super well-intentioned. Mm -hmm. um, it also isn't the best word to say to yourself. I should have said something differently. Mm -hmm. I should be a better mother, um, those types of things. Um, a great substitute in many instances is could. So instead of you should come to this fair or you should go to this event or you should be a sponsor for us, you could say, well, you could be a sponsor for us and if so, blah, 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 blah. And that gives the, it makes it the other person's idea. If you say, well, you could do this, you know, you could meet us tonight for drinks as opposed to you should meet us tonight for drinks. I don't know. But when you say you could, it becomes the other person's choice whether or not to do that. So is that one of the top thing? I think that's fascinating. And I say, I probably say you should eat at this restaurant mm -hmm. almost every, I love food and uh -huh. I just feel like they should, uh -huh. but I, they could, they right. could eat at that restaurant. Right. They would probably enjoy it. So it's kind of like, say you could do it and then maybe give the benefit. Is that the, like uh, uh, my dentist, let's talk about flossing your teeth. You could talk, floss your teeth and then you would potentially have way better dental and health and beyond or yes this wouldn't hurt as much um you you wouldn't have to come you're going to prevent future costs you know there's all sorts of ways you can run in of course it's your dentist it's going to be different than if you're talking to a sponsor mm -hmm. or you're talking to your five-year-old um but the principle is the same that that particular word has a re an unintended reaction in the other person's brain that we want to prevent and so if the goal is cooperation if the goal is um uh you know bringing people on board, so to speak, uh, that would be a word we wouldn't want to use because we want to say... Uh, we want to say the same thing in a different way, essentially. I love that. And could seems more like dreaming the dream. Like, oh, we could do this. Like, yeah. you could do this. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, I, you know, let's, it's more, it seems more collaborative. So I think that's yeah. really good specific advice. And that's one of my favorite things about you is your specific mm -hmm. advice. Um, are there any other words that you, is that the biggest offender, do you think? Or are there others? <laughs> well, I actually have uh, over 52 words that I've studied and I have scientific uh, proof from, from, you know, functional 
functional MRI scans or EEGs or or I, I'm really a, a kind of a math and science geek, so a lot of that stuff interests me. But but uh, what I like to convey is the bottom line. So instead of using this word, use this word, or instead of using this phrase, use that phrase. So I think the number one most important word um, of all communication is the word why, and um, especially since we're taught from children and you know as journalists who, what, where, when, why, and my whole point is just who, what, where, when. Like the word why, in my opinion, is one of the words we should remove completely from our vocabulary in 100% of situations. Most of the words I talk about, we're going to slip up, we're going to say them. It's not about being perfect. But the word why is so detrimental to our relationships that it, that word individually by itself is so powerful that that's a word I invite people to uh, do their best to remove in their vocabulary, both in emails and in language or on voicemail. And um, there, I could go into the technicality, but if, if you want me to, but um, the substitute for why, the reason, the substitute for why is either what or how. So instead of why should we um, sponsor your event, or why should we bring in professional speakers, or uh, why are you the best person to help us? Um, you would say, what are the reasons um, we should come to your event, or what are the reasons we could come to your event, mm -hmm. um, or what are the reasons you want buy-in, or how come this is important? So you say the same sentence, um, what are the reasons yours is a valuable event, you, or you say, how come yours is an evalu a valuable event? You don't say, why is your event valuable. So you just start the sentence with a what or a how instead of a why. And if some, a little other tip. On, um, yes, please, is, please, please. Is, I love it. I, I mean, that's so simple to replace, yes. but we just wouldn't know we did it. And you know, the thing about Karen is I just want you to believe everything she says <laughs> because I believe the research that she has done and who has the, you know, what did you say, EKGs and oh, MRIs? EEGs. EEGs, yeah. yes, and MRIs. And, you know, I, the fact that that's the number one thing, I thought you were so fascinating and you didn't even say that before. No. So that's so interesting. Yes, tell yeah. me another tip. Oh, well, I was going to say about the word why specifically, if someone asks you the word why, mm -hmm. why question, like why are you the best person for this yeah. or why did you become a board member or why should I become a sponsor? Mm -hmm. You know, when they're asking you a mm -hmm. why question, your brain is doing the same thing. Your brain is having this defensiveness where you think like, well, I don't know, you just like, because we're the best. Um, so you automatically have a defensive reaction. Your brain, you can't help it. It's, 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 we're neurologically wired that way. So what I encourage people to do is if someone asks you a why question, even if you're grandchild asked you like why is the sun yellow mm -hmm. you know that type of thing you can answer with the question the reason the sun is yellow or the reason I feel you know we are really the best venue for you is such and such so that you're even taking uh, why out of the question and you're taking why out of the answer so it gets out of your own brain so you're not you're not uh, in a fog caused by what that word why is causing in your own mind. So rephrasing your own mind, like, instead of something like, well, why, why should I hire you, you know, that you're actually like, how come someone should hire me? Like you literally stop for one second in your mind, rephrase it, and then allow the, the answer to come because the answer will come for a more solid and grounded place. Okay. So the answer I give, if somebody says, why should I sponsor your event yes. is the reason, um, the re there are many reasons to sponsor our event, some of which are such and such, because again, we'd want to get away from the should too, if we can. <laughs> but um, but if we were going to goof up on the should part, if someone says, why should I sponsor your event? And you want to continue to say the should, you say the reasons to sponsor our event are. Okay. Um, yeah, Interesting. So. Okay. That's fascinating. And, and it, you know, probably harder to implement than it sounds, but also I feel like just knowing this, I feel like you could start to, you know, Put it in yeah. your practice. And just be thinking what or how, what or how, what or how. So that those are those are the substitute words. That's awesome. Okay. Karen, before we get off this topic, are there any other kind of favorites that you have besides I'm sorry it's a general question, but oh. I just I feel like that um, you might have more to say on this topic and I don't want to get off of it too soon. Oh well I I think why is the most important one and should is also a great one because uh, could is such an easy substitute. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly I do want to say as a caveat with shoulds, um, sometimes when you get in 
into legal matters and you get into ethical matters, of course, the word, there's appropriate places to use the word should. Um, and some people do get uh, a, a little nervous about taking the word should out. So when possible, I think should is a great substitute uh, when we're just well intending. Uh, could is a great substitute for should. So I think you've hit on a couple of uh, the, the strong ones. So, okay, so we talked a little bit about building relationships and camaraderie and consensus. How do we use this information to build relationships and consensus? Well, I think knowing the information about language choices you could make can really help people feel like they are connected to you. Another thing I talk about is leadership. I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday about leadership and they're doing research on what good leaders do. And I'm like, yeah, what are you doing that's different than, you know, somebody else? And, and they were sharing with me their opinions. But I think the point is, is that we people, you can choose to lead, but it's much more effective for people to choose to follow you. And so it's one thing to try and be a leader. It's another thing to inspire someone to follow. And I think the more leaders focus on inspiring people to follow instead of trying to be a better leader, it's changing the paradigm. It's looking at it the other direction. I think that's the same thing about cooperation, camaraderie, connection, is instead of me being smart enough or me convincing you that you should come to this event or that you should sponsor this event it I can share ideas with you that cause you to want to be a part of it um, so language can do that um, well okay I'm gonna have to ask you some more specific questions about that <laughs> yeah. because I think a lot of people listening are leaders in their for their oh. organization and so um, and I know what you mean about as I I don't think of myself as a woman president of a company. I just think of myself as a president of a company. But I do think that, especially as a woman, sometimes I feel like I broach, um, you know, I waffle of the, my leadership style. You know, I don't want to be too far in one direction or the other. And probably every leader feels that way, that, you know, you don't want to be too, um, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that there might be some people that um, could use a little more information on this. So tell me um, a little bit more about inspiring people. I know could sounds very inspirational. We could do this like that whole that sounds great is there anything else um, I think dreaming the dream or you know the inspiring I think inspiring people to want to be a part of your event your venue or and even in your employees and things like that well, I think you're bringing up a couple different topics that I can speak to. One is the issue of gender, um, and that's actually another area that I specialize in, is speaking differently to men than women. And I've done some original research in this area, and it's very fascinating that in many ways, um, our brains have over 100 uh, similarities between the male and the female brains, but there are some differences. And one of the things that I focus on is the differences. Tell um, us, tell <laughs> us. <laughs> so, um, so when you're talking about being a woman leader um, and you use the term waffling, but that's something I'm going to come to in a minute. Okay. Is, is waffling, I think, is, is I would put in a different category mm -hmm. of leadership. But I think just the idea of bringing up, do we speak to men, should we, quote unquote, should, um, we speak to men and women differently at, to be inspiring and to gain cooperation? And my answer is yes. And I know that's a controversial um, thing to say, but that is clearly what my research shows. The, 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 the message is the same the words are different and the point is this is uh, so I'll say a second point and then and it'll bring these two points together so you speak on you spoke you just mentioned the the issue of you don't think of yourself as a woman president but as a president of your company so I do think there's a gender component to inspiration that's relevant that has to do with communication I also think there's another component where I am going to speak to your word waffling now where I would actually um, use a completely different word because one of the things I also deal with is leadership and dealing with negativity dealing with difficult people um, I call it dealing with quote jerk like behavior <laughs> um, and I ask people for, for, for permission in case that's too uh, uh, 
negative of something to say, but most people usually agree that we can use jerk-like behavior and that we fall into that category sometimes. So when one of the things I emphasize in this leadership program is that we have a toolkit, um, and I actually talk about 14 different styles or ways people can be difficult, and so that we should not, as effective leaders, be treating everyone the same way. We should not be in trying to inspire Jerry the same way as Sue, the same way as Phil. Um, the point is the same. The point is that we have a profitable, uh, well-run, fun organization or event or whatever it is, but we, we get there through different directions. So. Um, and communication can be part of that. So I think waffling, first of all, isn't necessarily bad, even mm -hmm. though that that con that uh, word could have a negative connotation. And I think the point you bring up about women um, being a woman, whether we think about that or whether we not think whether we don't think about that, um, I think it's a component to consider. But so inspire. My point is, even if the goal is inspiring, inspiring someone to sponsor, inspiring someone to give you a a referral, inspiring your board to, uh, you know, find more donors, whatever it is, you can get to that place of inspiration through different linguistic tools. So we're getting to the same place, we're just getting there a little different way um, based on knowing how to inspire this type of personality versus how to, you know, we were talking about children a little earlier about, you know, understanding the temperament of that child. You would not um, deal with a, um, shy child the same way as you would, you know, the cowabunga dude child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, but you want to get to the same place. You want to get to the place of cooperation and connection. Um, so it's all, you're getting, oh, excuse me, you're getting to the same place, but through your words and through your language, you get there a different way. Okay. Can you give me just a tiny, I, I know this is a huge, if you've done original research, you probably have so much data that it's hard to just sort of sum it up, but is there anything you could say in general about dealing with women versus men or um, of temperament difference or anything like that? Uh, well, um, one thing is, uh, I, th I think a well-known well fact that people agree to is men tend to be more fact-oriented. And one thing is um, women tend to be more emotional-oriented. And this is way an overstatement um, and people get things confused between left brain right brain when it really isn't left brain right brain um, but I think um, research does show that if you have to pick between um, facts or emotion if for some reason you had to pick it would be better to pick or emphasize facts in a quote-unquote campaign. Let's just say you're trying to convince someone of the worth of something. If you're trying to convince a man for the worth of something, uh, it's more often than not, there's tons of caveats to this, but more often than not, they really would prefer the facts backed up by emotion, whereas more often than not, it's true in about 80% of women and 80% of men, and then there's 20% of people we would consider outliers. Mm -hmm. um, but then in women, if you had to pick between emotion and fact, emotion's going to be more powerful. But of course, both men and women want facts and emotion. But that's just kind of a simple mm -hmm. um, example of one way that things could differ between men and women. Fascinating. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about email marketing. Okay. I think, and not just email marketing, email, email, email communication. Um, we can all, I think we can all agree that email is rampant <laughs> and probably way too much. And it seems like it's not just a problem of quantity, but it's a problem of quant quali quality. Mm -hmm. And maybe we could deal with the quantity better if the quality was better, <laughs> you know? Um, so I know this is something that I was just so drawn to you about. Um, it, because you had some really specific ideas of what made for uh, good email communication. And so I want to just delve right into that. Um, let's just start with the subject line. Um, you had some ideas on, you know, what would work well for people. And it's interesting talking about the effective communication. And anyway, I'm just really curious. Tell, tell people just some thoughts on your subject line of the email to get your, your point across better or to communicate better via email. 
Sure. I'll offer two tips. Um, one of the first things is don't be afraid to use the person's first name. I highly recommend that uh, you do that. Um, and you don't have to worry about Mr. or Mrs. or Dr. or that type of thing. And not just putting it in the, the text of the message, but using their person's first name in the subject line, as you said. Mm -hmm. Another thing I emphasize in the subject line is non-capitalized letters. Um, so when you're talking about the subject, um, unless, of course, you're using a proper noun, like, you know, Las Vegas or Austin or uh, the name of your festival, whatever, um, that when you're talking about the subject, you're, whether it's multiple words or one words, that they are not capitalized, even if it's a phrase that you do not capitalize the first word of that phrase. Um, even, the, even the first word of the phrase. Right, but if you said the person's name first, yes, like right. if I say Kendra and then my phrase is, um, you know, outcomes or my phrase is two cents or my phrase is update, um, that that you in update would not be capitalized. It's very important. And um, one of the reasons I've come to this information is I've uh, studied over 10,000 emails in multiple business areas, and this is what we found has been the most effective in getting people to open, read, and reply to emails. So those would be two specific tips, I would say, for the subject line. That's great. And I remember you said, say something like Kendra hyphen, no capital, update, question mark. Right. And um, I remember uh, you, there was, you could say a different question, but if there was no real, you, if you didn't have a specific question, update, usually you're looking for an update in an email, right? right? So is that a kind of a general, um, if you, you know, is that a general good question? question to ask or subject line? Update is a good one. Um, inquiry also pulls a lot of responses, um, but I'll give you actually the number one best secret, the oh. best, uh, I don't usually use the word secret, but it really is a powerful word, um, is simply the four-letter word help. So um, no matter whether you know this person, you don't know this person, it's a cold lead, it's a warm lead, it's your board member, it's whoever it is, just simply the person's name and you've got help not capitalized with a question mark, um, you will get a high percentage of responses, uh, probably close to 8 out of 10 just using that subject line um, because most people, quite frankly, want to help. Uh, they just might feel that they're important or they don't have time or whatever it is. Is, but that will get people uh, to open and read. So help is is really, if there were only one word I were going to give people in a subject line, um, I would say it would be help, but update is very good and inquiry is also very good. Didn't, I feel like you said something about um, after three. If you, oh. if you send an email mm -hmm. and they haven't responded, mm -hmm. I think I know what you said, but let's see if I, do you remember what uh -huh. I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So this would be for uh, cold leads or warm leads specifically, well, I guess it could be with someone that you know, but prob probably not, would be if you're trying to reach someone, no reply. And then let's just say you follow up a month later because maybe you're a year lead time out from something. Or, and then you follow up a month later, you email them, no reply. So now you have two completely ignored emails. So when you're on your third email, the phrase that has been tested to get the highest response rate is, again, you use the person's name and then you use the specific phrase, request the courtesy of a reply. And again, it's that, again, that's request the courtesy of a reply. It used to be request a favor of a reply, but we found the courtesy pulled more than favor did. Um, and then again, request would not be capitalized, and this would be an instance where we would not use a question mark in the subject line. Oh. And even if you literally cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste, the text the body of your email and you change the subject line, uh, you will get between two-thirds to three-quarters of the people who will respond to this third email when they did not respond to the first two. Um, so it's a, it's an incredibly powerful phrase to use. Is anyone else as fascinated as I am? I hope you are. <laughs> I hope I'm turning all of you into data geeks like I am. I just love, I think that's why I love this. It's so specific. Mm -hmm. And I just think, who knew? And, you know, the fact that it, we, we probably all intuitively know that tiny things can make a huge difference, but we don't know what they are, you know? And so to know what they are in, in a way that I have found really easy to implement into my life and, um, and uh, you know, and I think it's, it's just, it's uh, hopefully people see it as 
it's helpful to the communication and it make and and I actually try to put as much descriptive in a subject line. I've been more aware of it. Is that something you recommend to um, being a little bit descriptive in a subject line or really just, you know, how do you, do, is it just a synopsis or I, I find that when I'm looking through my emails, I kind of like it when there's an idea of what's in it for real. You know, sometimes people will say, are you think not? What do you think? Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by descriptive? Well, you know, um, you know, when I'm going through, I feel like some people will just say, hey, or, you know, just something just so non-descriptive. And I want to know, I wish I knew, it's probably a little ADD, undiagnosed, um, but I want to know a little bit more about what that email is about. Okay. Um, I um, can agree with you in intent, and I would actually uh, probably disagree with you a l- in, to a certain extent. Okay. Let me explain if I can. Okay. So the first thing is, absolutely, I think sometimes you can be descriptive. One of the things we find is a shorter... For the most part, trying to keep subjects lines as short as possible um, is beneficial, particularly with now with phones and uh, people getting emails on their phone. They can't see the whole subject line. But um, so if you are that that word is like contract question mark or that mm-hmm. word is um, uh, receipt, mm-hmm. you question mark, you know, like, mm-hmm. have you received this? D- is This is about the contract. You know, so in some way, or you can just say um, uh, billing follow-up or invoice, you know, so so to the extent that it could be descriptive and brief, mm-hmm. um, that can work. However, um, I don't think that's always the best idea. It's I am the type of person too. I send about uh, ten thousand emails a year, and and I sort things through my sent email box. So I'm looking at, you know, every single time I've emailed about and I'm looking at the subject lines like you're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're both uh, uh, undiagnosed ADD. <laughs> and so, but that's the way I sort through my communication. So is it easier for us when, from the sender, when we have a more descriptive line? Yes. Is it in the best interest of the receiver to have a more descriptive subject line? Often not. So I would often uh, not hesitate to say some of these very non-descriptive phrases like update or um, inquiry or help uh, or you know request the courtesy of a reply that that some of these other general phrases again it just depends on our goal do we want a response or do we like know this person for eight years oh, and point. you know they they just we, they've been in Spain for two weeks and so we didn't hear about you know so so sometimes it's contextual but um, so from it depends on your goal if the goal is to hear back, don't be afraid of those generalities. Mm-hmm. Um, but if your goal is really, you know, this person, they've paid you 10 times, that you're just, you know, two weeks late on this payment, then you can follow up with something that other, somebody else might perceive as threatening or something. Interesting. Okay. Well, I love that you disagree. You know, I love that because I, I that's what, what we're learning here. Okay. Let's now move down from the subject line to the greeting. Can you imagine we're sitting here just going to dissect this? But it is interesting to me, I think it's fascinating that even the greeting you use is also important in email communication. So tell me a little bit more about an effective greeting in email. My research has shown the best greeting is the person's first name followed by a comma. This is true in the United States. This is not true in um, other countries. Um, So, and again, I want to reiterate, most of what I've been talking about before, previously, is true in other countries as well, but there are some caveats for um, different parts of the world and different ways people uh, speak and uh, build camaraderie and connection. But so in the United States, what I found is if you are contacting someone for the first time, there has been no email correspondence yet to go with the person's first name in a comma, not a colon, not a semicolon, not hi, Bob, not dear Bob, Bob, comma. (laughs) Do you do a paragraph return? Do you return or do you start writing? No, paragraph return. So there's one line between Bob and then there's a line of space and then left flush, then your, uh, what you're talking about. So Bob is going to be left flush, then comma and then an open one open line so that your text doesn't come right under the word bob one open line and then left flush for your text um however if someone else has emailed you first you play copycat so if someone says good morning comma kendra exclamation point then you come back and you say good morning comma bob exclamation point so 
if someone has shown you who they are, you want to say, I see you, so to speak, in an email. But if it's a new correspondence that you have not had with them before, um, my research has shown the highest response rate to first name and comma. I love that, and I do that all the time now. I really do. I used to be, um, I used to do everything wrong. I'll yeah. just say that. <laughs> I'd put it all on one line, but I feel like the hi Bob or Bob comma, it's like your name is the most, it's, it's giving them a little respect, it feels like, instead of just blah, just putting all, everything you have to say right there even on the same line, it's it's kind of setting them apart from the message. Right, and I actually, uh, you, you just brought up a good point. I talk about this in my talk, so I don't know if people can really visualize this, um, but uh, uh, for physical research, like department stores or Target or Kohl's, uh, do research to find out when someone enters their store, do they normally turn to the right or to mm -hmm. the left? And in the United States, most people turn to the right. Does that mean all people turn to the right? No, but most people will turn to the right. And similar research has been done with eye gaze mm -hmm. um, at computers for emails, and where the person's eye is drawn to is the end of the subject line the greeting, and the end of the first paragraph. Again, that's the end of the subject line, the greeting, and the end of the first paragraph. So if we can grab the, a person's attention in not one, not two, but all three of those places, the likelihood that they're going to respond to us is higher. Again, is everyone going to respond? No, but doing these things um, increases the response rate dramatically. So with that tip, I'm going to give my own tip Good. because I can apply that to something I read one time about Disney World. It was oh. the unofficial guide to Disney World, okay. and often they'll have the left or the right oh. You know, um, you can go in and there's just a blockade right there and then you can go left or go right. Okay. And I always heard go left okay. because of that fact that you just said. And so now I'll apply it when I go to the movie theater and I notice this. It's very nerdy. I'm sorry, you guys. But, you know, I'll notice that there are less there are fewer people on the left side that entered from the left than there are from the right. So I always go left. So anyway, I don't know. That's just my two cents. I felt like Karen was saying all these smart things. So I had to just, you know, throw in my own little one. Okay. So now we're through the greeting. And again, I really encourage you guys to use this. It's so easy to implement. And it really, it makes you think like when it, when somebody's an exclamation point person, I bet you have a lot to say about it, but you know, when somebody's an exclamation point person, it's like they're giving feeling. You're Like you said, they're telling you something about themselves. Mm -hmm. And often I'll find it's not just there, it's their whole email is riddled, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of endearing to me and it's kind of telling me. It's hard in a written communication to get the emotion, but man, they're doing it, you know? And so I think it's really cool. Okay, now we talked about eye tracking, which I'm fascinated about too as a web developer and where mm -hmm. people's eyes go on the computer screen and I love all that research too and um, and I think I always say this is why building a website is an art and a science mm -hmm. it is a science because you really need to put information where people's eyes are but it's an art because it makes it look beautiful as well mm -hmm. so I really I that really spoke to me but sometimes this is what happens to me when I send an email I'll get a response back but I'll have sent kind of a long email mm -hmm. probably too long mm -hmm. and I've asked a question and they'll answer, but they don't answer my question. And then I'm like, well, how do I get the answer? And so when you were talking about the end of the first paragraph, is there relevance to my issue with my email. Do you know? Do you understand what I'm asking? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, so very often we'll want to ask a question in an email or we'll want to be gentle. A lot of times in an email we're trying to be kind of nudging people. And um, what research has shown is the best way to get somebody to answer a question, well, first of all, is to ask a question with a question mark instead of making a statement. A lot of us will say something like, I look forward to hearing back from the, when the best time for you is to meet. And what the person's reading is, well, I don't care what you look forward to because I'm not going to answer that question. You didn't um, ask it. You didn't <laughs> ask it, right. And so um, what I find is, is that if you end your first paragraph with a question, something to the effect of what do you suggest is the next best step or when is, uh, could you um, kindly toss out a few good days and times in the next two weeks to have a conference call, question mark, and then 
you know, it was like, you know, I, I'm 47. So, you know, if you hit the return button on the, on the typewriter, mm-hmm. you know, hit, get enter, there's going to be another space. And then they're going to, you're going to start your next paragraph so that that first paragraph ends in a question mark. Um, and uh, there's a great guilt inducing factor that comes from this, a very subtle guilt inducing factor where the person doesn't, will be tend to not just put this in there, got to respond to folder or got to think about folder, but they think, oh, oh, I need to get back to Kendra about that. So the fact that we used a question mark is very powerful in order to get an answer from the person in um, their next email response. And I hope you're flattered by the fact that I even remember something else you said that was so interesting. You said, apologies to the English teachers in the crowd here, but if you want to say something like, and and correct me here, but if you want to say something like, you know, when is a good time for you to meet question mark? And you have like one other thing you want to say like, Tuesday would be great for me. What do you do? You pull that out into the next paragraph. So it's grammatically incorrect. Um, uh, Kendra's absolutely right that I talked about that in my program. So that we've learned a paragraph is about all one subject or topic. And what I'm asking people to consider is to do something grammatically incorrect if you want to work a little bit less and have that both that quantity and quality of quality of emails be Uh, better in your email inbox and have there be fewer emails in your inbox, Mm -hmm. but getting the answers that you want. Um, So that, yes, so that you would actually be talking about the same topic for, as in your example, Tuesdays would be better for me. You would end that first paragraph with the question mark. Can you toss out some days and times that work for you? Question mark. Then there would be a space. And then the next line would be Tuesdays actually are the preferred date for me. Um, So as, as you say, that is grammatically incorrect to have that not be in the the first paragraph, but hey, if the point is to get somebody to reply, be happy about it and set up a meeting, great. I think it's so cool because one thing I'm noticing in common is putting it in the other person's, yes. uh, you know, put it in the other person, put, kind of put the ball in their court in a way and allow them to feel in control. The whole no, don't say you should. It seems like all this has a thing. Okay, but before I get to that, I want to ask you one more question about questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I have a few questions. You yes. know, and I feel like I'm just, you know, I'm, I don't want to drill them. I want it to come across, you know, I want it to be easy to answer, but I have a few things to ask. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for that? Absolutely. Um, what, again, what the research has found is that even with two or more questions, and I know most of you listening won't be doing this with two questions, but I'll tell you, if you do it, uh, you know, try to prove me wrong and <laughs> feel free to email. It's not going to happen. Don't waste your time. <laughs> feel, feel free to email me. I'm sure it's going to be wrong some of the time, but it won't be wrong most of the time is um, I recommend you number the questions uh, again left flush and that it is one and then open parentheses and two open parentheses you don't put one period a two period three period one um, I think I'm using that mm-hmm. word, mm-hmm. ellipses or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, parentheses. One open parentheses, two open parentheses, three open parentheses. And you phrase your questions in a way that all the person has to do is answer Y or N. You know, instead of saying, um, when are we meeting again? That you would say, can you confirm we're meeting Tuesday at 9.15? And question mark, and then all they have to do is say yes or no, or literally put a Y or an N at the end of that line. And I think... And so I'm like, here, let me tell you what you also say. <laughs> That's fascinating. You said also, so you could say correct question mark. Right. Yes, absolutely. You know? So we're, um, you know, we're meeting at 915 in the restaurant, comma, correct question mark. Absolutely. And then all they have to say is yes or no. So two or more questions, instead of writing them out in the paragraph and you know, maybe the old person just answers yes. You don't know whether one answer was yes, but the other answer was no, and they have to write them back, and they have to write you back. <laughs> and, and like, So, um, yeah, when you can. And, again, it, sometimes I literally, in a regular email I sent out, I have 12 to 14 questions when I'm getting down mm-hmm. to the nitty-gritty mm-hmm. on a program planning. And does the person receiving the email necessarily want to get an email with 12 questions? Not necessarily, but I can tell you that person would much rather 
have one email with 12 questions, then 36 emails. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I literally asked my clients this over 14 years. And um, so when it comes down to ne- quote unquote needing to ask a number of questions, um, this is still what I found to be the best way of doing it. And again, I'm not saying you can't pick up the phone, right. but when you are going to send an email, um, that's had the highest response rate. And one last question, question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, is there a length of a question that's oh. important? You know? um, yeah, yeah. Um, when you can keep uh, your questions to seven words or less, okay. and that really helps the other person to register the question and want to respond to the question as quickly as possible. Um, I was going to say one other point about putting things in the other person's uh, shoes or perspective. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to hold that thought till go later? Okay. No, I want you to go for it because we're almost out of time, and okay. I want you to get it in there. <laughs> okay. And so I think it, it uh, struck me when you were talking about the exclamation points, and also so much about what you are right. The when we're writing an email, people are, and, and when people are in this business, people love what they do. You know, they love their board. They love their organization. They love what they're doing. That we try to convince people, you should sponsor us. Like, you should, like, please provide a referral or, like, we we get excited and we want to use 10 exclamation points and we feel passionate but the point is particularly if people don't know you and you don't know that person's personality or, or that person's style is to the best of our ability until we know someone that we are making um, an email that is the easiest and the softest to receive. So we're constantly thinking about what is the receiver's perspective? What is the receiver's perspective? That um, that when we enhance the likelihood of a receiver perspective to start a dialogue, then we can then tailor, oh, is this, you know, an eight exclamation point person or is this a no exclamation point person? Okay. Um, so, so you're saying they're okay, but once you know the person, because I'm thinking about myself here again, right. you know, but I get very excited. I'm, I'm exactly that person you're talking about, super passionate. And so you're saying it's not that it's not okay, but just when you don't know the person, maybe respect their style. Is that what you're saying? That, yes, we don't know yet. If, if the goal is, um, you know, development, if the goal is financial support, if the goal is uh, marketing, if the goal is uh, connection, if it's camaraderie, if it's um, inspiring, and we don't know this person yet, let's pull all our tools and tricks out to get that person to say, oh, this seems like something I want to participate in. This seems like something that I want to reply to. Then we get them on board. Then we can mm-hmm. start um, uh, incorporating both of our our styles into something. Fascinating. Okay. Um, one other thing you said. We're talking about the end of the email now, and we're ta- and um, and you said. I think you touched on this earlier, but one thing I remember you saying is, I, I don't say, I look forward to our next step. How many of us have said that? No, you don't have to raise your hand if you're driving, especially if you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. But um, what do we say instead of, I look forward to our next step? I feel like it's, again, putting it maybe in the other person's perspective. Um, you know, I think that just, you know, is it, is it asking them another question or, you know, how, what do you, how do, how do you, what do you say instead of, I look forward to the next step? Um, well, I think if you're going to say something at the end of the email, it's less important than what you say at the beginning of the mm-hmm. email, but you can say, um, you know, I look forward to the opportunity to bring value to you. You can say something like that as a closing, mm-hmm. um, but oftentimes I don't even recommend a, a phrase like that at all at the end, something simply like, thank you for your time, or um, there might be something more specific that you're looking for, or... Is there something you remember? Well, I feel like that you had said something about asking a question at the end and putting it back in there, in there. Sorry, I was probably being a little vague there. But I feel like you were saying something about um, putting it back in the ball back in their court. And it was just following on everything else you said. I thought it was fascinating. Um, Yeah, actually, uh, I would stick with that. I I would actually stick with that earlier in the email. So I understand what you're saying. So absolutely that we've got the we've got the great subject line. We've got Bob, you know comma, we've got that space. And then what do you suggest as the best next step? I actually would keep that higher up in the email oh, okay. optimally. Okay. Um, and then say we've got another paragraph, you know, in case you're interested in looking at our website, here's some information. And then you can, then you, 
generally speaking, I don't recommend saying phrases that they're, they're kind of meaningless, like meaningless phrases, but you can as the last step, like, I look forward to the opportunity to speak with you, or mm-hmm. I look forward to hearing from you. Um, it's relatively benign, but, but what you're recommending, um, what you suggest as a best next step, that's a powerful sentence, and I actually would keep that higher, so I may have miscommunicated oh, that. Oh, no, I probably yeah. wrote it down wrong, but I'm so glad I figured it out. <laughs> and then the other thing, I'll follow your lead. Oh, yeah. That was so cool. Yeah, awesome. And, and also very hard for a very super enthusiastic person to say and mean, but tell me why that's important. Oh my gosh. People love to be VIPs. People love to, um, to be the, the director, the leader. Um, so when you ask people, and this is another tip that you can use, particularly when someone's like not answering your question about a timeline, you know, like, when do you want me to follow up? When are you going to be thinking about this next? So you literally ask someone, um, would you like to follow up with me or would you like me to follow up? Um, if so, can you kindly recommend a time frame? And then you say, I'll follow your lead. And um, literally adding that one phrase, four words or whatever, um, has increased response rates by like 30% when you just add those four words. So people love that phrase. Um, uh, don't hesitate to use that phrase. Another phrase you said, you just reminded me, rave reviews. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about rave reviews because a lot of people, they do have rave reviews. A lot of fairs and festivals, you know, venues. People, tell me about rave reviews. Okay. Um, Well, a lot of people, when they're talking about sales or marketing in particular, but it could be true for other scenarios, people talk about how they think they're amazing and wonderful. And and I'll ask people, you know, whenever I'm speaking, I'm like, what makes you great? And people are like, oh, we're effective, we're efficient, we're friendly, we're, uh, we're approachable, we're, um, you know, every person's fair. You know, like whatever it is that, that the person thinks. And I say, great, don't say that um, in an email um, in this particular uh, situation um, because what, what people want to hear who don't know about this yet is what other people have said about you. Mm-hmm. And so, first of all, you really want to emphasize specific um, testimonials that people have said. It's like people who have come to our fairs in the last two years have found us to be approachable, accommodating, excellent, etc. And also the phrase itself to say as opposed to people like us, as opposed to people um, – have had fun to use that exact phrase. We've received rave reviews. That that is a phrase that more than other phrases pulls people to respond to your email. So both that phrase in particular and in general, using those rave reviews as testimonials in your um, in your introductory email, as opposed to who you th- how great you think you hmm. are. Say the same thing, but just say that um, people who have been to our fairs have found or or previous board members have felt, um, or sponsors from last year said blank, you know. And go ahead and include the, what they said exactly, yes, too. And and for, absolutely. Ask for permission. Mm-hmm. Um, you do, If you don't have testimonials, for, if you don't have rave reviews right now from people, send out an email to 20 people, get seven back, and ask them for permission to use them because testimonials are so powerful. But, I mean, you don't say people specific names, but you'll say specific comments mm-hmm. uh, in quotes that people have said. Yeah. That's wonderful. Okay, Karen, I cannot appreciate you enough. We have definitely gone over time, but I know everyone can agree that this, I, I hope that this has been very uh, fascinating and, and educational for you like it has been for me. And I just want to thank you, Karen, so much. She actually lives here in Las Vegas, but you know, I think when you live in Las Vegas, you don't have, you don't come, how often do you come to the strip? Probably not very often. Not very often. <laughs> and she came for me, and so I really want to tell her how much I appreciate I appreciate you so much joining me today. And I feel that this topic, she could have spoken for days and days on, and we just brushed the surface. But I have good news for you. If you want to know more about Karen and her company, Innovative Impact, you can just go to www.innovativeimpact.com. And again, Karen, you go everywhere, right? Speaking and doing, uh, doing education and things like that. Local, regional, national, international, yes. I love it. So you are at, you are uh, more than welcome to uh, to contact her. 
definitely feel free to tell tell her you heard about it on the podcast. And if you want to learn more about Sapphire Events and even see how we help events, venues, and destinations market smarter online, please go to www.sapphireevents.com. And I really appreciate your reviews that we've been getting on iTunes. And I want to tell you, thank you. Um, This is how we get the word out. And this is how iTunes decides to share this podcast with others is when they get good reviews. So if you like it, I'd appreciate you sharing it with others and also potentially giving a review on iTunes. Thank you again so much for joining us today. And thank you listeners for being here for us. And I'll look forward to next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Amplifier Event Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Sapphire Events for smarter online event marketing. If you have an event or venue, did you know that you can get $20 for spending 20 minutes learning more about Sapphire? Check it out at www.sapphireevents.com. We'll see you next time on the Amplifier.